Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi back for another week. Um, Off-seasons have a rhythm to them. You know, when, when, when we go in-season, we tape a pod every week, and it's football, 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 right? In the off-season, it can be tough sometimes. So we don't go every week because we, we can't go every week. We took a little bit of time off. We come back to you, and I talk about how hard it is. I talk about how tough it might be in the off-season sometimes to come up with content for you. We don't have that problem this week because spring practice is back. I'm Matt Bagley, joined by Justin Hopkins, and spring practice is going to be the emphasis for us. We'll have Jared Denny, Scoop Duck beat writer, later on in the pod. Let's start with our thoughts on practice, my friend. Dan Lanning and the Ducks took the field the other day. How do you feel about this team as they get closer to the spring game? Uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, with one practice, there's, you know, very little to glean or, or get you know, what I, what I would say, the term I like to use is, is very knee jerk about, you know, you don't want to go too far, uh, you know, one direction or another, but um, it, it sounds like overall the ducks are relatively healthy, so to speak. There's always going to be a few injuries, guys holding out guys, taking it easy, whatever the case might be, but you know, flows back out there and you've got Cam McCormick that uh, made an appearance. Um, you know, you also had the, seven incoming players that you know Oregon signed either via the transfer portal or from recruiting um you know Chase Coda one of the headliners of that group that I know we'll talk about a little bit yeah uh Noah Noah Whittington you know running back uh from Western Kentucky he's transferred in so a lot of good little pieces there that kind of got added to the roster so I I I I mean, you know me, I'm always a huge fan of, of, of it's kind of like the more the merrier when it comes to spring ball, get them here, let them get acclimated. Uh, even if they start off slow and things aren't clicking that first or second week, you're a lot better off than them experiencing that in the spring than you are in the fall. So, you know, kind of let them get those learning curves, the, the, the freshman curve, whatever you want to call it, let them get that out of the way now and then have, you know, the next three months or so to continue to get ready right right and and that hits on something that i know a lot of your readers have have talked about for years and you and i have talked about for years how one of the best things mario cristobal did was encourage players to enroll early and participate in spring practices he was making sure freshmen got on board early making sure transfers got on board early and kind of easing the transition into the oregon program um, Dan Lanning takes over. You talk about how he's integrated some of these guys early into spring practices. Is it safe to say that that he subscribes to the same philosophy Cristobal did with the early enrollees? Yeah, I think it certainly seems to be that that's kind of the move in college football these days. You know, uh, recruiting the timeline has advanced. The signing period has obviously advanced, but there's now a December signing period. I think, you know, just kind of a, a, a natural residual of that, uh, you know, is getting these kids not only signed, but then getting them on campus early, um, you know, allowing yourself to have more depth, allowing those young guys to get experience. You know, all those things are good things. So I, it's just, I don't know, it seems like everywhere you turn, you know, all of the elements of college football are advancing. Uh, you know, this is obviously a very natural part of that as well. 
but yeah, there's really no downside. I mean, the only downside, the only downside at all uh, for getting these guys on campus in the spring uh, is the potential risk for injury. And, you know, that's just an inherent part of football. You know, if they, if they showed up in, in July or August or whatever and started, there's obviously the risk there just the same of getting hurt. So that's really the only downside, um, you know, in terms of football. But again, that risk is there no matter when they're, when they're on campus. So, you know, why not, uh, you know, why not take the upside along with it? Yeah. Yeah. Totally with you there. Um, Heading into spring practice, last year, we all felt good. And I say we all. You, as a beat writer, I, I know my buddy Matt Preem over Duck Territory, uh, James Crepia at the Oregonian, and, and then all the talking heads. So like myself, Steve Tannen and Eugene, etc. We all felt pretty well about Oregon's defense. We all felt pretty well about Oregon's skill players. We all had question marks about Oregon's quarterback. Um do, do they have any other question marks this year or is it still just quarterback? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess on one hand, let's stick with what you originally said there. There's still questions about quarterback, right? I mean, there's, you know, you do have Bo Nix. Uh, you do have Ty Thompson. You have a second year version of Ty Thompson, no longer the true freshman. Uh, you know, so you've got it. You would like to assume that he's gotten better in that year. Um, uh, going off memory, I think this is, this might be Jay Butterfield's third year. It's at least, I think it's his third year. Uh, you know, so again, you would like to think that, uh, Jay Butterfield has advanced as well at Oregon. So I, I, I think the quarterback position remains very much in flux. You know, will it be Ty Thompson? Will it be Bo Nix? You know, I think that's the heated debate at the moment, but, uh, You've got questions running back. There was a lot of guys that left. You know, I thought I, I know that everybody's excited about Brian Cardwell. I'm excited about it as well. But you know, that's a pretty young guy being thrust into a big role. You know, obviously Oregon losing basically its two starters from last year. Die transferring to USC. Verdell going to the NFL. So I think there's reasonable questions there. I do think that Noah Whittington addition, uh, you know, via the transfer portal is very good, not only just because of his, his of his talent and skill set, but because of, of the depth and experience as well. Um, I think wide receiver, you do lose all of your starters from wide receiver last year. Troy Franklin was starting there, you know, kind of towards the middle to end of season. So I don't know how you want to count that or not, but effectively he's he's a, you know, second year guy. Dante Thornton was in and out of the lineup, never really as the starter, but did play and see snaps. Um, and then you obviously went with Chase Coda via the transfer portal, who's got experience again, depth. Uh, I think that's going to be valuable. So I think there's questions there. I think the biggest questions, and I don't know if we're sticking the offense versus defense, but offensively, I think it's, I think it's offensive line. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised to hear me say that. Um, you know, I think the offensive line was good last year. I think they did some really good things. I know Coach Mirabal and Coach uh, 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 Cristobal, both of those guys, offensive line guys, I think they did some really good things with that group. I'm not worried about Adrian Clem per se, but just, you know, the overall health of that group. You know, are there guys that are returning that are ready to take that next step? We hear a lot about the younger guys, you know, Bram Walden, Jaden, uh, Jalen Jeffers, you know, continue to be hurt. You know, those are the guys that we're all kind of naturally expecting to come in and 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 be groomed and and step into those roles. And if they're hurt, they're obviously not ready to step into those roles. So, yeah. 
for me, I do kind of think that offensive line is really uh, a very, a very intriguing and questionable position. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it is a very intriguing position. Um, I'm with you. I have a lot of respect for Adrian Clem. Comes from the NFL, but not only that, comes from a, a, a program with the Pittsburgh Steelers that has proven year in and year out that it can um, roll with the punches. Um, I, uh, I I wonder, though, with Adrian Clem coming in after years of stability there, you had Mario Cristobal. You had Alex Mirabal. You had one system and 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 one message to deliver that system. I uh, I wonder if there's going to be a, a little bit of a rocky transition for those players. Yeah, no doubt. Be with you. It's just and and, and here's the thing. Even even if you have five returning starters, even if you know they're all you know, really good players, you still have to develop the chemistry, right? And I think that, you know, I think that that's something that Coach Mirabal, and I'm going to give him credit on that because he was with the group every day. I think that's something that Coach Mirabal was really good at doing. And I don't think that it's anything that Adrian Clem's uh, bad at doing. It just takes that kind of touch. It's not like quarterback where you're working with one guy and, you know, you really kind of special in on this or that. You know, with offensive line, there's so many moving parts and pieces. Guy gets hurt. You've got to move guys around. It's just such a unique position group. And, and I also think that it's incredibly important, obviously, to any offense. So, you know, that, that to me, again, I know that there's returning guys, but it's still a really big kind of if question mark in my mind. Yeah. Uh, that sound effect you might have heard in the background was Jared Denny joining the conversation. He's a beat writer at Scoop Duck and covers every sport of the Ducks, which is kind of handy considering uh, we're in this neat part where hoops is over, where baseball and softball are doing their best to dominate, and where football is just about to uh, gear up for the spring game, just get back to spring practices. He got to see spring practice and We'll pick his brain on that and on a few other things in a moment, right here. Like I said, we got Jared Denny here on the pod, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. He is a beat reporter and a very good one who gets to cover football, basketball, and more for the Ducks here at Scoop Duck. And, uh, you know, I mentioned football. The, the big one, the one that, that pays all of our bills, the one that dominates our attention span. Uh, the Oregon football team just kicked off practice for the spring. Jared Denny was there to see it. Did you like what you saw? I did, absolutely. It's, um, it's an interesting time to be back around the program because spring comes around and everybody's so excited to find out every little tidbit possible. And we're still a little bit limited in the scope of what we've been able to see in here. We've had one in-person uh, press conference with Dan Lanning yesterday, which lasts about 10 minutes. And wow. everybody was kind of chomping at the bit to, uh, and there's, I should say there's been Zoom press conferences, but it's always, we've right. talked about this in previous pods. It's always a little different um, in that environment. And then we get the first 15 to 20 minutes of practice, which is about seven or eight minutes of stretching and warm-ups and then a few drills and then we're out of there. So uh, Coach Lanning actually used, I mean, it's a common football term, drinking from a fire hose, which is kind of what we're all doing right now, trying to catch up with this program and just learn as much as possible in those 15 minutes you get every day and kind of take in what the differences are with this coaching staff compared to the past one, the intensity of practice. I've gotten a million 
questions about that. How, how different is the intensity or what's the vibe like in practice? And my takeaway is that it feels very, very efficient, which anybody who's followed a Dan Lanning uh, kind of involved program, that's that's not going to be a surprise. That's his MO. So it's been really cool to see, and I'm just really looking forward to getting this next month to sort of hear from players and hear about this kind of tangible little differences that uh, we just haven't had a chance to find out about yet. Did it look more efficient than, say, a Mario Cristobal practice? Yeah, I don't want to totally rag on the the crystal ball staff i mean they they ran a really tight ship and um did an incredible job but there's just something different about landing and um i, I was kind of chatting with some folks in this about this on the scoop up forums this morning like everything that he does is so concise and so precise and there's absolutely no wasted effort even in the answers he gives to i mean some of the questions i asked yesterday he he doesn't want to be really hyperbolic or kind of use those buzzwords about players he just sort of wants to get to the point and get on with coaching football which i'd personally i think prefer that to sort of your ceo slick talking uh football coach that you see at so many programs if that makes sense totally yeah um and you know what i know and we're just kind of talking here more than a question i guess you could say but you know i know it gets kind of frustrating because it's media you know you want as much ability to see practice and be there and you know and 15 20 minutes i know you get there by the time you get down to the field and the, the players have you know, finished walking onto the field, you maybe get like 10 whole minutes of like something that resembles football, which is, you know, stretching or whatever the case. But I mean, at least it's something, right? I mean, it's kind of just nice to kind of, like you said, get a vibe for, for, you know, the, the, what everybody's kind of doing down there and how they're feeling and, and maybe how some of the coaches are interact acting and, and who's, you know, on a set of crutches or who isn't. I mean, it, it, I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, maybe frustrated people the most is when, you know, Mario Cristobal basically kind of went dark on practices for the most part. It's kind of at least refreshing to have something once again, I assume. Yeah. And it, I, I think I'm a little bit in the minority here as a journalist, um, but my stance has always been, if I was a coach, I, I wouldn't open up practice. I would give the most boring press conferences and most bone dry answers of all time, because what, what good are you doing? Um, from a strategic standpoint by revealing anything about your program, right? I mean, obviously you want to sell your program as much as possible and you, you want to, um, you know, appear very well on camera and, um, and and the way you're quoted, but there's not a lot to be gained. I don't think, especially in the modern college football landscape from um, really uh, being transparent with everything that you're doing. And it it sucks as a reporter. I, I would love to, you know, write a million features a week about this player's progression or something that this quarterback or this receiver is doing differently and why they might make the leap next year. But it's just not the access isn't what it used to be. And while I totally understand why that is, it's it's a little bit of just something that I think, I mean, beat writers around a ton of programs are getting used to still. Yeah. Yeah. You guys hit on a topic that, that I, I had this question in my mind. And now I get to ask it, I guess. Um, you watched 15 minutes of Dan Lanning football yesterday. You watched 15 minutes of Mario Cristobal football uh, last couple of years. Was the 15 minutes yesterday more revealing than the 15 minutes you had in years past? Yeah, I would say absolutely. And it's it's obviously the the drills that are being run. Uh, it, the main difference is we're, we only have access to one side of the field anymore. So if if you want to watch the DBs and they're lined up at the other end of the field doing a, a drill down there, you're kind of hosed unless you have a really nice pair of binoculars, right? Um, but, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I've just noticed so far is Todd Lupoy is an absolute um, 
I mean, this is no secret, but he just brings it every second of every day. And it's just flying around a million miles an hour everywhere you look. And then you kind of look down at your notepad for one minute and then look back up and he's somewhere else um, kind of uh, just teaching technique on a drill or doing something like that. And I, I just don't, I wish I had that kind of energy day in and day out that he does. And we're going to hear from him Thursday um, for the first time and hear from a couple of the Oregon linebackers as well. So I think that's honestly one of the things that I was most excited for for the spring was just our first in-person interview with him kind of hear about his, you know, the fingerprints that he's leaving on this program and how that defense is going to be shaped in his mold. Um, seven new guys showed up uh, for practices, you know, join the team uh, again, understanding that you had, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever, and, and trying to do a lot. Uh, any initial impressions from the guys that showed up, maybe, Hey, this guy looks a little bigger or, you know, you know, look like he was jumping right into the mix or anything like that from those guys. I mean, I know Chase Cotto is sort of the buzzy guy that everybody's excited about. And I did, I didn't get a great look at him. He, he does look, I mean, um, that, I think the last time I saw him play in person was when he was in high school in South Medford, but he, he's bigger than I thought he would be. And he, he just looks like uh, yeah. he's coming into camp in really good shape. And um, I didn't get a great look at ta- Taggart or uh, I should say Harrison Taggart or Jackson yesterday, um, just because I wasn't on the end of the field. Uh, Wooten was doing some work off to the side. It looks like no serious injury for him, but he was just kind of working with that group that is not quite full go yet. Um, that, that's something that, I, I mean, you make a really good point uh the the new guys are sort of the shiny most exciting uh, part of spring ball and we haven't got to see a ton of them yet obviously because they just arrived yesterday but that's something that i'm really looking forward to the next few days um fair to say i believe maybe the three biggest storylines are um at least just from yesterday yesterday alone just the fact that cam mccormick's back out there uh, Justin Flo was out there, I believe, and Jared Greenfield is back with the team. Any other, anything on those storylines or any other major ones? Maybe I'm missing. No, I, I think you rounded it out perfectly. I, I think the Greenfield storyline in particular is really interesting because it's just somebody f- who, for the last couple months, has just been written off. And it, um, everywhere I looked, it was just sort of assumed that he's gone and he was knocked off the of scholarship charts. And and he is not. He's not on scholarship with the Ducks anymore. Dan Laney confirmed yesterday, but the guy's back in the fold and credit to him. I, I don't have the full details and what went down with him and the previous coaching staff, but um, he is um, coming back with no guarantees, with no scholarship and is going to give everything he has. And I think that's something that's really admirable to try to make, um, make it when you haven't exactly had the easiest time so far. So I think that's really cool. And I, just, I think to see Cam McCormick back and hopefully, hopefully, I mean, fingers crossed guys, just, hope that he can stay healthy and put together the full season that I think everybody wants to see him have. It's, it's looking, I mean, I haven't talked to him. I haven't been around him too much, but it's looking like he's at least moving well at this point, which is really all you can ask for after, I mean, man, the traumatic set of injuries that he's had. I, I think every year when I have you on my show, Jared, you know, we, we, we see you cover the first day of practice and then immediately I want to ask you about the quarterback battle. So, you know, I got to play the hits. I got to ask you again, uh, 15 minutes or one practice into the landing era. How do you feel about the quarterback battle? 
Yeah, the the footwork drills that we saw yesterday, everybody looked really sharp, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. No, they, they they were making some throws right as we were kind of getting shoot out of practice, and um, I mean, Bet Bonix looked like he was throwing a really good ball. I, I'm not going to lie and say that I had a, a great view at a ton of throws or anything like that. And we got as much as we could out of uh, Dan Lanning yesterday in his um, post practice interview, and he he said some really good things about Bo, and he he said I don't want to misquote him here, but he's more or less what he expected. Like he's a really really intelligent guy really hard worker and he's bringing it every day and there's some things that like everybody else in the quarterback room that he needs to improve on and Bo will be the first to tell you that he needs to improve on those things so we're gonna get Kenny Dillingham on Saturday and I'm really really interested to kind of pick his brain about especially Bo and Ty Thompson and kind of where they are both at in their respective progressions um again you know glad to have you glad you were at practice I know Charlie was with you probably helped a lot to be able to have a you know like an extra set of eyes on practice uh not going to hit too much on it just because it was one practice and like like i said before you joined us jared i i hate to get too knee-jerk about you know one practice or 15 20 minutes of it in anything and and that seems to be you know something that happens here and there um moving on basketball wise season's done for both men and women uh women have obviously made headlines with the uh with the number of transfers uh, we'll start there. Just kind of any thoughts on those transfers, the women's season, um, you know, women basketball. My my general reaction over the last 48 hours has been everybody needs to kind of take a deep breath and <laughs> understand that the sky's not falling. And Justin, I know you kind of share that sentiment. Uh, I know that this is a really passionate fan base. And I, and I think that's like in, in a sport that should continue to grow and is growing and um, needs fan bases like the one that Oregon has to support it and help it grow. It's awesome to see people outraged over the fact that women's basketball is uh, just lost some really good talented players. Um, that, that's the sign of a healthy fan base, I think, but the, the sky is not falling. Um, there's still a really good roster in place. There's the number two recruiting class in the nation coming in. And this is just how college sports are going to work in the transfer portal era era. You're going to get a lot of churn. You're going to get some kids who, for one reason or another are not happy with where they're at or just maybe want to seek an opportunity somewhere else and that's totally okay and i think if anything kelly graves has proven that he is going to recruit really good kids and maybe they don't all pan out but they don't all pan out for any coach in the country right uconn gino Ariama um, has kids who don't work out every year and they move on to somewhere else and i i think it's just a little reactive i, I, I mean i've seen i think more sort of posts or tweets or responses um, kind of calling for the firing of Kelly Graves or calling whether Kelly Graves' job should be in question. I'm just like, what are we doing here? Right. It, it was a it was a down year. Kelly would be the first one to tell you it was a down year. The players will tell you it was a down year. It was that if you're judging purely off of stars recruiting wise, then the program definitely underachieved. But everything's just so wacky in college basketball, both many and women's right now in, in the post COVID era and there was a lot of rosters that were kind of piecemealed together and not everybody sort of knew what they were getting with these kids they were bringing in because you couldn't do in-home visits. And I just think it kind of led to a recipe for disaster for this Oregon team. And you, you had those injuries at the start of the year. And I know it probably sounds like a giant excuse for me and a giant excuse from Kelly Graves every time he talks about it. But, I mean, for the first month and a half of the season, those kids weren't playing together and they just never quite figured it out. And you come up against a good Belmont team in the tournament and things sort of happen the way they did, right? But... I mean, anybody who watched the McDonald's All-American game last night saw two future uh, Oregon Ducks who are going to be really, really good players, I think, and who I think could make immediate immediate impacts. And I, I just don't see where this really, really, like, kind of over-the-top, like, 
burn it all down and start over reactions coming from. I don't, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Yeah. No, I, I like that you guys have that approach because, you know, I, I said this on, on social media yesterday. Student athletes are still students. And, and I remember a different school, obviously, different campus. But w- when I went to Oregon Tech, I had friends that just didn't like it there. You know, they, they grew up in the Bay Area or they grew up in Portland and all of a sudden they get snow on Halloween and they, they still get snow on June 1st and they didn't like that. So they transferred out. And, and I have friends that their girlfriends, uh, you know, wanted to go home and, and so they followed their girlfriends and they transferred out. I think that happens, n- not just in college sports, but in college. So I, I'm not surprised that that now that student athletes can transfer a little more freely with the way that the transfer rules are now with the portal, I'm not surprised that we're seeing more student athletes transfer. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think specifically in Oregon's case, I mean, Sydney Parrish is a really good basketball player. Kylie Watson's a really good basketball player. Maddie Shear is a really good basketball player. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to fit perfectly with the roster around them or necessarily Nikola Graves' offense. And I think you saw that a little bit. And I think the major issue was there were sort of too many good players to get the shots that they needed on this year's team. And as weird as it sounds, I think a little bit of um, roster churn and maybe um, focusing on the things that made Oregon really good this year um, when they were playing well is going to help them get back on track. And I I just don't... I mean, no matter what happened, it, I think before all the transfers took place and I was sort of um, doing a scholarship count, they were going to have more players than they had scholarships anyway. So somebody had to go, whether Nier Sable entered the WNBA draft or not. So um, there's always going to be some movement. I just think it's it, because it was, what, three transfers in the span of like three hours. It, it was a little bit jarring for some people to see. Right. And and Sabley, like the like... Some people might say, well, you, you wish Kelly could have kept her another year. But with women's hoops, she's got to go make her money. And she can. I mean, that, that Belmont game, the only reason they even make it to OT is because of her. I have no problem with her chasing the money. No, absolutely. Yeah. With the, with, oh, sorry, Justin. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I mean, with the injuries that she's had and sort of some of the scary knee stuff, and it seems like every time she falls, you hold her breath, um, just go pro go, go go get whatever kind of opportunities you can go play overseas in the offseason um as long as she's healthy she's going to be an incredible basketball player wherever she goes it's just a matter of uh, hopefully her landing somewhere that is able to kind of work with those injuries that she's had in the past and um just not put too much on her too quickly i think will be the biggest thing for her yeah and people i mean she's being talked about as a top five pick that's it's no brainer that's i mean just you know if you're in that top 10 discussion, it's really no-brainer territory in my mind for uh, for a, a male or female athlete at that point as far as basketball goes. So, yeah, her, her going made total sense. Um, and I, th- I think you made a pretty good point, Jared. Just uh, I, I think that, you know, we're still continuing to see the residual effects of COVID and how it impacted programs, I think specifically women's sports, a little bit more because I know – you know, for me personally here in the state of Oregon, you know, a lot of the sports from my daughter uh, went away. Now, granted, she's fifth grade, so I know we're talking about different things, but her, you know, basketball, soccer and stuff didn't go on, whereas there seemed to be more going on for the boys. Now, I, I don't know why, but that was just the case. Um, I know in high school, it's a little bit different. But so, yeah, I think I think 
and I would, I would, I would, <laughs> I'd love to be a, I'd love to think that, you know, for this reason, I'd love to think that Dana Altman and Kelly Graves probably went and got a beer somewhere together and looked at each <laughs> other and said, this was the most frustrating season of my career. And he probably said, cheers to that, you know, because, and, and I'd love to be on the fly on the wall for that because I, I think you could see for both of them that, you know, they were, their expectations were where they always are very high and waiting for their team to kind of buy in and gel. And this applies to both the men's and women's. And honestly, just neither of them really ever got there. And I think that was their biggest problem. Yeah. I didn't know that's a really good point, Justin. And I think, I think everybody's roster this year was just a little bit of a mystery box because you were out of touch with your kids for so long. There's a period of what a year and a half back where you couldn't, I mean, kids couldn't even be on, campus like working out in school facilities there's just so much up in the air and then suddenly you get a season you get your kids back and you have to like kind of piece it all together and i know we're a little bit removed from that now but i just think it's going to take a little bit longer for everybody to sort of get their rosters and their scholarship counts and everything back the way that they would ideally have them which is it's a slog right it's it's annoying to keep hearing about it. it's annoying to keep talking about it and writing about it but it's going to be the reality yeah, it's real. It's not like we're just making excuses. It's real, tangible. You know, uh, it just, it just it matters. Yeah, I don't I don't think people, you know, and I think maybe that was part of this football team as well this past season. I know folks were frustrated with certain parts of Mario Cristobal's team. I I would probably wager he was frustrated as well. Um, again, I I think we're just kind of seeing some of that, and and you know, hopefully we're getting to the point where, you know, those delays or those you know those periods of of sports where you weren't able to work out or or evaluate these players or whatever the case might be we keep getting farther and farther away from that and uh you know i think it'll i think the product will be better agreed but i just want to reiterate one last time for those who are still kind of panicking the the answer is not to do with kelly graves and (laughs) I i don't think it ever will be um it's, and this isn't just because he is a phone interview who's charismatic. He, right. I mean, look at the kids that he brings in. He's legitimately one of the best coaches in the country. He's one of the best recruiters in the country. And um, players come to Eugene because they want to play for him and they love playing for him. And they've talked to past players who can tell them how much fun it is and how well it prepares them for the next level to play for him. This these things don't happen by accident. He didn't get the Sabrina Ionescu group and make that run to the final four and then have a chance to be a national title contender the next year before COVID kind of wiped out the season. Like that, that doesn't happen by accident. Right. Right. No, I think you hit the nail on the head of if you're going to critique Kelly Graves for this exodus, and that's what it looks like on the outside. But, but I think we've done a good job poking holes in it and just pointing out that, you know, this is, this is real um, and it's happening everywhere because of what you guys mentioned, because of, of how hard it was to recruit over the past couple of years. There's going to be a lot of situations where players just don't fit and they leave. Um, but, but, but like you said with Kelly, if you're going to nitpick all that stuff, you have to also give him credit for recruiting and developing not just the best Oregon recruiting class ever, that Sabrina Ionescu group with Ruthie, but developing a team that beat the U.S. national team, which is still the fact that will always blow my mind. Like a college team beat the U.S. national team. That happened. And then crushed Stanford, swept through Pac-12 play, won the regular season title, won the Pac-12 tourney, and I'll go to my grave believing would have cut down the nets and won it all if the COVID hadn't happened. 
Absolutely. It's an incredible point about the national team thing and something that should be brought up more regularly. In, in my opinion, that's that still is one of the most absurd things that I've ever yeah. seen in any sport. It's it's arguably, and I know this is a, a tough subject because of Marcus and because of, of the greatness of those Oregon football teams. I think that Sabrina team was the most dominant Oregon team ever, and and Kelly coached that team. So yeah, let, let's give him credit for that. Yeah, I, I I have kind of chuckled at some of the the out. Oh, you know, Kelly lost his touch. Kelly's lost his fire. It's like mm, I don't think so. I think you're just seeing a really frustrated coach out there. You know, I think yeah, Oregon will be fine. Uh, no, well, Jared, we we appreciate you coming on and and, and talking about some of those things. And uh, you know, I know you've got a couple more practices this week, and and hopefully we can uh, we can revisit next week when a little bit more has transpired. Yeah, good stuff, guys. I appreciate it. That was fun. Like, I I love that we got to ask him about the differences in practice uh, between between staffs because that that's kind of the the hidden. Um, well, not not so much hidden with us. We talk about it every year, but it, but it is hidden, I think, by the rest of the media of how little is actually available to them. And and so right. the fact that Jared could point out, yeah, you know, it was only 15 minutes of availability, but that 15 minutes felt a little more revealing than the 15 minutes I might have gotten in prior seasons. I I really like that perspective. Yeah, no, no doubt. No, it's 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 good. It's it's just great to have practice back and you know, I I think everybody's definitely excited about the future of Oregon football for sure. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on? I, I know it's a really light pod, really tight pod, but I, I'm at this point where I feel like we've talked about every topic the, that we needed to address. No, I, th- I think so. It, it was a good week. Um, there will be some uh, visitors. Uh, there will be some recruiting visitors this weekend, so we'll be able to touch on that a little bit more okay. uh, in next week's pod. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think we touched on everything. Yeah, some visitors coming for spring practice. That that's uh, that's nice, right? That's uh, they're they're ramping up recruiting, or or I guess uh, keeping it ramped up from uh, from the past couple months. Yeah, I know. You know, folks are a little kind of like bummed out because there's not more commits or or whatever. But I mean, you know, really, what this staff has done in terms of of the amount of visitors they've had on campus um, in January and to start March um, has been as good or better than anything Mario Cristobal's done. So, I, I, I mean, you can't say it hasn't been, you know, for a lack of effort or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's a new staff, and, and it'll get there. It just takes some time. All right. Okay. Well, like I said, I had a list of topics. We tackled all of them. And uh, Jared Denny, yeah, I really appreciate his help in that because I think he took the lead there. Great conversation, and as always, uh, you learn a lot by listening to him. So so go back and listen to that, folks. I'm Matt Bagley, joined by Justin Hopkins, the owner and editor and publisher of Scoop Duck. And we'll be back very soon with another one of these podcasts detailing uh, what's happened next with spring football practice and recruiting and the Dan Lanning era on the gridiron. Also, any news that breaks for basketball, and I promise you we'll talk about that Oregon baseball team. I was so impressed by uh, them taking two out of three from Stanford uh, earlier this past month, and a whole lot more. Keep it here, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening, and go Ducks.